In the name of our God and Father above, and in the name of his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead and reascended to the Father's right hand, where he now rules over all things in heaven and on earth for you and me, my dear friends. Today, as we begin our study of the fifth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, I'd like to begin by sharing with you a true story, a story about a home that is just a few houses down from the parsonage right next to church. So home, this isn't the actual picture, but like this house, it was a home that had a yard that was immaculate, very well kept. And the outside of the trim and, and all of the siding was newly painted, and if you went into the inside of the house, there was no expense that was spared. Uh, every doorway or every door frame had a six-panel oaken door hanging in it, swinging on it. It was a very nice house. From the appearance, on the outside, it looked like a little slice of paradise. But then came the day when the woman of the house had gone out to get the mail, and when she came back into the front door of the home, she swung the door closed and gave it the usual push. And when the door bumped up against the frame, it vibrated the frame, and that frame sent a vibration through the wall, and there was a mirror hanging on the wall next to the door. That mirror suddenly came crashing to the floor. That was shocking in and of itself. But there was another horrifying thing there, for amongst the glass that was shattered on the floor, there were dozens and even thousands of carpenter ants swarming around. The mirror fell off the wall because the studs had been eaten away by the ants. It wasn't quite the little slice of paradise that it appeared to be. This home was an insect-infested remodeling project. When we look at Nehemiah, the first four chapters, we see how there was rebuilding that needed to take place in the city of Jerusalem. When Nehemiah arrived, the streets were filled with rubble. Everything was overgrown with scrub brush. Nothing was progressing in the rebuilding of the city. And so Nehemiah, in the first four chapters, begins pulling the people together. And as he does that, the streets are being cleaned of, cleared of rubble. Um, dwelling places are being rebuilt. And most importantly, the wall, that outer defensive perimeter, was being rebuilt. And so imagine how satisfying this must have seemed to Nehemiah as he saw the power of God's word pulling the people together. And they were working together as one. Perhaps Nehemiah saw this as a little slice of paradise, huh? Everyone working together for the glory of God. But then, like the mirror thudding on the floor and ants pouring out of the wall, some reports began to pour in to Nehemiah. They told him, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax in our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong 
to others. Jerusalem was not a little slice of paradise, was it? There was famine. People were in need of food. And when those who were lacking turned to those who had ample food and extra wealth for help, they were told, sure, I'll give you help, but let's mortgage your house, let's mortgage your fields. And then when they couldn't repay, well, they confiscated them. And when they didn't own the land and now had to rent it, then they still had to pay taxes on the land and the houses. They couldn't pay the king's taxes. And when they couldn't do that, then they were selling their sons and daughters into slavery just to make ends meet. There was a framework within the hearts of God's people that was being eaten away by greed and selfishness. And now Nehemiah is the one who has been put in position by God and now is accountable for addressing these issues that are taking place. And so if you're Nehemiah, where are you going to start? What's the first thing you're going to do is you address it. You're going to go to those who have been exploiting others and say to them, well... Um, I think you should do some jail time. You can give them a fine. At the very least, make them restore what they've taken. Where are you going to start? Nehemiah started with these words. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? The first thing that Nehemiah did was to dig into the framework of their hearts to expose the rot and the hollowing out that had taken place. The biggest problem was they didn't fear God. They failed to understand that there is a connection between the way people treat their neighbor and how they feel about the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, we are told, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So if I take a hammer to your car in the parking lot after church has ended, and I beat up the sheet metal, and I crack all the glass, I'm really taking a hammer to you, right? When I, dis, when I destroy your property, I disrespect you. When I honor your property, I honor you. The Jews in Jerusalem were failing to make the connection that the way they were treating God's people was a slap in God's face. And they failed to understand that God slaps back. They didn't fear God. Why had they gone into exile in the first place? Because they didn't fear God. Because they were doing these same kinds of things to each other beforehand. And so Nehemiah was calling them to account 
for the attitudes that they were carrying in their hearts. Their actions were showing that they had a lack of fear and respect for God as their maker. And even more than that, they were disgracing God among all the other pagans in the surrounding nations. As Jews, they wore the label children of the Lord. They were his representatives to the world, but by their exploiting, their taking advantage of one another, they were painting a true God who is a generous giver who gives to those who can't repay him. They were, they were making him look like the other pagan gods who are greedy and selfish. They disgraced themselves, they disgraced their neighbors, and above all, they dishonored and disgraced their God. But before you and I start down the Pharisee path of saying, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like those Jews back then, let's do some inspecting of the framework and the attitudes within our own hearts. Now, because of the civil laws that we have in place today, we, we don't exploit each other. We really can't exploit each other in the same way that the Jews did then, right? Um, I can't just walk up and confiscate somebody's property because they owe me something. It doesn't work that way in our system. But their attitude of self-interest at the expense of others lives in you and it lives in me. And let me give you a couple of examples. How do you use your positions of influence? How do you use the rights that you have? As Americans, we have the right to vote, right? So when you step into the ballot box, do you vote based on what will be best for society and our nation as a whole, or do you vote based on what serves your personal interests? What serves your advantage only? I knew a family who, while their children were in school, voted yes on every school referendum that was put before the voters because it would improve the education that their children would receive. But then after their children had graduated from school, they voted no to every referendum to improve the school system. And, this, and these were their very words, because it won't benefit anyone I care about. Does that live in you? Maybe we're not brass enough to say it out loud. What is that in you? Kids, your parents ever ask you what you want for supper? For lunch? Does that happen? Do you ever respond by saying, well, whatever my brother or my sister wants, that's fine with me? Or do you exercise your rights on your own behalf to get what you want, what you like? When it comes to carrying out our ministry as a congregation, the work that we do together for the kingdom, do you look for, do you vote for those things that will help us reach the lost who are out there, not only locally but across the world? you vote for those things which will best build up the entire congregation or for those things which support your interests and are convenient for you? 
I wrestle with those thoughts and those attitudes too. Or I'm looking out for me first and everyone else second. Is that those times then that you and I need to remember that whenever we take advantage of our neighbor, we are slapping our God in the face. And that we deserve to have him slap us right through the gates of hell. But the Lord our God didn't do that with the people in Jerusalem. He hasn't done that with us. In his grace and mercy, the Lord sent Nehemiah to his people and reminded them that it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But after he called everyone together, he exposed their sin, but then he also reminded them that the Lord their God is a God who freely forgives. He summoned the leaders and he reminded them to give up and give back everything that they had taken from others. And together they promised that they would return and said amen and praised the Lord. See this word, all capitals, the Lord? This is the one who explained his name to Moses on Mount Sinai by saying that he is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the God who said through the prophet Isaiah, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And this led to the other part of fearing God. Fearing God isn't just being afraid that God can punish you for what you've done. No, it's respecting God for his great love that forgives and cleanses. Nehemiah reminded the people of Jerusalem that their God is a forgiving God. And that love of God moved them to restore what they had taken. And it is that same love of God to which we are directed after we expose the greed and the selfishness that, that exists in our hearts. So that we've been purified from it as well. The Bible tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is that the record of your greed and your selfishness and my greed and my selfishness has been rewritten with the record of Jesus Christ. So that you and I who were formerly greedy are now viewed by God as generous. You and I who were formerly gossips are viewed by God as those who are defenders of reputations. Those who are promiscuous as pure. Those who are as liars as honest. That's how God views you. And it is through that message that the Lord remodels the interior of our hearts and he overwhelms our selfishness and fills us with selflessness. So that as living stones were being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God restored the people of Jerusalem that they were once again acting in love for each other and most of all for him. In the same way the Lord through his love restores our love for each other, doesn't he? 
So when you find those attitudes at work in your heart, wanting you to be selfish and to look only to your own interests, then remember how our Lord Jesus Christ did not look to his interests, but to yours and mine first. And he will restore and renew you. And also it's at this point where I want you to thank God for the Nehemiahs that he has put into your life. Thank God for the Nehemiahs who have exposed your sin, who have called you out for your evil. Thank God for the Nehemiahs who have pointed you to the cross of Jesus so that you could find comfort there. And then, brothers and sisters, be a Nehemiah to those who are around you. From pastors in the pulpit to Christian teachers in the classroom to Sunday school teachers to parents and relatives who are in the home, your example is impactful and is powerful. Let your words and let your actions be a sermon to those who are around you. We are told that the earlier governors, those preceding Nehemiah, placed a heavy burden on the people, took 40 shekels of silver from them, in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, he did not act like that. Instead, he said, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. And so Nehemiah practiced what he preached, didn't he? He served God by serving God's people selflessly. And so in the same way the Lord says to you and me, watch your doctrine and life closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Speak the truth and live the truth. And that way the Lord remodels human hearts. He transforms them. He's transformed you. And I would like you to remember this closing prayer that Nehemiah spoke at the end of chapter 5. It's really a prayer that we can make our own, where he says, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. With these words, Nehemiah is not saying, Lord, I've done good things for you, now you owe me something good in return. He's not saying that he had earned God's favor by what he had done for God's people. No, instead he is saying, Lord, I cling to your love. And it shows by how I love your people. And so in the same way, you can pray, Lord Jesus, Remember me when you come again. Because as you freely loved me, so I have freely loved others. And I look forward to that new Jerusalem that you have prepared for me as a free gift. And brothers and sisters, remember that when we arrive there, all the interior remodeling us will be done forever. It will be complete. So will our joy. May God give you that joy now already, and may it bring it, may He bring it to completion when He brings us to our home above. Amen. Please stand. <laughs>